We are a resource for learners, including every member of the Livestrong Cancer Institute's on-track educational pipeline from middle school to residency. We are a growing collection of interviews, talks, and experiences that uncover the myths and the uncertainties of cancer and careers in cancer in order to empower and inspire generations of thinkers and leaders. This is Cancer Uncovered, an education and empowerment podcast by the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. This is Kristen Wynn with the Livestrong Cancer Institutes at UT Austin's Dell Medical School with Cancer Uncovered. You probably know at this point that smoking tobacco or using tobacco products is bad for your health and causes cancer. So why are there so many tobacco products still on the market? Why are people still using them? And what's up with e-cigarettes and other tobacco products? Are they any better? In this episode, you'll be uncovering the myths and miscommunications in the United States around tobacco use, addiction, nicotine, and cancer prevention among communities of color and at-risk populations with passionate mentor, Dr. Jazz Alawalia. The LCI was thrilled to host Dr. Alawalia as the keynote speaker for our recent Cancer Prevention and Control Symposium in the spring of 2022, which was a day full of experts talking about their research into the many ways to stop cancer within specific populations and how clinicians and researchers can work together to improve health outcomes and quality of life for their patients. Now, we'll welcome Dr. Alawalia. Yes, my name is Jazz Alawalia. I'm an immigrant, came to this country uh, 58 years ago, so I came in as one year old. I'm a professor of behavioral and social sciences at Brown School of Public Health, and also a professor at the Brown uh, University Medical School. Uh, I've been in academics for 30 years, having been at Emory University and a department chair at University of Kansas, then at University of Minnesota, and briefly Dean of the School of Public Health at Rutgers University and again at Brown for the last four and a half years. Uh, my work has been on nicotine and tobacco and minority health for, uh, for those uh, three decades. Fantastic, well, thank you for taking the time. How did you end up doing what you're doing now? How did you get here? So what happened was um, when I was a resident, an internal medicine resident uh, at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, I had to do a project like everyone did. So many of my colleagues did things on heart disease and kidney disease, and I sort of was trained differently as an undergrad. I took courses like sociology of illness, politics of health, um, ethics in medical care, sort of just sort of taking a different path, if you will. So I spoke on what I saw as a leading cause of morbidity and mortality, which is disease and death, uh, which was tobacco. So I gave a talk on smoking cessation, which many people view as sort of weak science, if you will. Uh, but if it's a leading cause of death as a physician, I should be addressing it. And then what happened was, um, fast forward uh, to my fellowship at Harvard, I took a class on clinical trials, which means a certain kind of research study. And from there, my first job in 1992 was at Emory University, but I was based not on the main campus, which is gorgeous, but based downtown in urban Atlanta at Grady Hospital which is a large safety net hospital for the underserved, the uninsured, 
and largely minority communities. So about 90%, 80% of the patients at Grady were African-American. And what I noticed when I was a physician on the inpatient setting is that people were coming in for one of five reasons um, to the hospital. Alcohol, poor diet, physical inactivity, um, maybe substance use. And part that I was very interested in is uh, tobacco. I mean, it is a leading cause of death in the United States and soon to be in the world. Dr. Alawalia, can you say more about minorities and tobacco? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the tobacco industry is a, is a very interesting industry. It evolved in the late 1800s and rapidly expanded in the early 1900s. And at that time, and I'm not here to defend that industry, but clearly in that time, people were not actually aware that tobacco was dangerous. In fact, physicians were prescribing tobacco to treat what is then was then called catarrh. It's just a great word, C-A-T-A-R-R-H, I believe, mm. which affectionately is known as cold in the head. So if you had a cold, that you would use tobacco in one form or the other to treat it. And there was no sense it was dangerous. It wasn't really until the 20s, 30s, maybe a hint, and then the 40s, 50s, when some big studies were done by some uh, scientists and physicians here in the U.S., and then the famous study in England to show that, in fact, uh, cigarettes caused lung cancer and disease. So what happened is the industry targeted different populations through time. And um, somewhere mid-century, they were targeting African-Americans with cigarettes because they viewed that as an opportunity to make more money. Mm -hmm. um, and then they expanded into the area of menthol cigarettes. And so that's why today we see that 80% of African-Americans smoke menthol cigarettes, 50% mm. of Hispanics smoke menthol cigarettes, and only 20% of whites smoke menthol cigarettes. So it's really a legacy of marketing. I mean, marketing, if everyone ever questions, does marketing work? It works. Mm. It works very well, in fact. As some of us know from the front page of the papers yesterday, mm. it was a huge announcement. Uh, here we are in April 2022 that the FDA is moving forward with the proposed rulemaking to ban menthol in cigarettes and cigars, which is definitely something that is long overdue. Additionally, menthol has a big marketing component to it. Often when you look at ads for menthol, they're green, yeah. which represents health, which represents money, which represents green light means go when you're, when you're at a red light or green light. <laughs> um, and I think you know, it, 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 it connotes a lot of positive imagery. And so there's a huge psychological uh, component as well. Um, so I think you know, there is a long history of minorities and you know, the tobacco industry, which the executives were, of course, largely white men. Mm. And, um, and that's sort of some of the history. Now, the industry is changing dramatically in the sense that they want to get out of the business of killing people and getting out of combustible cigarettes. So they're moving into these what are called novel nicotine products or harm reduction products. And the CEOs you know, will go at their um, annual shareholder meeting and when they're interviewed by the New York Times or when they rarely are willing to go on TV, they will say, we want to get out of the business of combustible cigarettes. Tobacco leaf, when it's processed, has literally four and a half thousand chemicals in it. And probably about 50 to 60 of those chemicals are tumor-causing agents. So they're called tumor accelerators, carcinogens, co-carcinogens. So either present alone they cause cancer or in the presence of another chemical, they're accelerated to cause cancer. That's pretty dangerous stuff. 
And in today's world, if tobacco appeared on the market, we knew this, it would never be legal. Like people always say, why can't we ban tobacco? Why can't we ban the industry? Why can't we ban cigarettes? Because there's a long history of 150 years and it's very complicated. And yeah. People say, why does it have to be complicated? Because it is. Uh, but if it did come on the market today, it would never pass muster. And if we knew about it, right? Because remember I said that we didn't know it was dangerous right. in 1900. Right. So it comes to market and then you learn about it. You know, it's very clear that tobacco causes cancer. And when it's combusted, that means you light it up. You know, the tip of a cigarette reaches about 800 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, you know, it's hotter than hot. Um, in fact, cigarettes are the leading cause of fire uh, deaths in this country, mm -hmm. which is a very strange statistic. Yeah. People falling asleep while they're smoking and things of that nature. Yeah. But when you combust tobacco, it, it actually releases a lot of these carcinogens. Because when you use smokeless tobacco, especially the smokeless tobacco in this country, like skull and other dip and chew tobaccos, it's less dangerous. Now, it's a tricky thing to say less dangerous. It causes different kinds of cancer. Like smokeless tends to be related to head and neck yeah. and mouth and oral cancer. And combustible, of course, is linked to um, lung primarily, but actually is linked to esophageal cancer, uh, genitourinary cancer, which means the bladder and the urinary tract. It's actually linked to a lot of cancers. Now, nicotine is one of the 4,500 chemicals. It is, in fact, the agent that is responsible, primarily, we believe, for the addiction property. So the brain has all these receptors that bind nicotine, like billions of receptors. And you can fill them up with this nicotine from cigarettes. And when you do, it activates a lot of neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine that makes smokers feel relaxed, less stressed, they feel good. We have to remember as scientists and physicians that people smoke because it makes them feel better. And so we can't judge them, we can't shame them. Um, we have to actually have a support for the fact that they're doing something that, at least in the current time, makes them feel better. Yeah. But in the long term, of course, is not good. But it's key to remember that nicotine does not cause cancer. And that's gonna become very important in over the next uh, five, 10, 15 years. Sadly, when surveys are done of US physicians, about 60% of American physicians believe nicotine causes cancer. So why does that matter? It's gonna matter because when you get to these alternative nicotine products, um, uh, it gets into that and I suspect you're gonna to wanna to talk more about them. Absolutely. So I actually, speaking of that, I'm gonna turn it over to my colleague, Eric, who works with our department uh, at the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. And Eric had a question regarding e-cigarettes. So go ahead, Eric. Hello, my name is Eric DeLeon, and I'm a junior here at UT. Um, I kind of wanted to ask more about e-cigarettes. Uh, would you say that they really offer a safer alternative, alternative to nicotine use, as is often claimed, compared to combustible tobacco products? You know, that's the million-dollar question, right? So these things came to market about, uh, about 10 years ago, plus or minus, and really took off about six, seven years ago. And they go through different waves. You know, Juul came out strong and rapidly became set that 70 percent of the market it was almost like a monopoly it, but the, the guys who founded jewel these two guys who i think had gone to stanford really had a good idea in mind when they did this one of them their father smoked and had smoking disease they were really wanted an alternative that was smoker so they had a good agenda and i think what happened is like anything out of silicon valley or high tech and then you get investors involved and you get people who want to make money. And so their 
their agenda got side sidetracked into making money. And the way you make money is you market like crazy, and that happened. And so right away, e-cigarettes got a bad name because then what happened is in this country, youth began to take it up because youth like technology. Youth like respond to marketing with their sex appeal and young models and cool people, especially if you get, um, uh, I'm not a social media person, but when, when you get influencers, that's what they're called, you get influencers involved. I mean, it's sort of a whole nother world than when I grew up. And so that sort of, uh, you know, changed things a lot. And so the agenda of a safer alternative could never be met when it already got outweighed by the fact that youth were using it at astronomical rates. And it peaked at about 27% of um, people less than age 18, high school students, actually were using an e-cigarette at least one, one day uh, in, the, in the past 30 days. Now that has fallen rapidly, and that, of course, is good. But when you look at the science behind it, always think about that things innovate. So the first generation e-cig were pretty simple, not great products. Then we went to second generation, third generation. And for the last five, six, seven years, we've been at fourth generation products. Things that some of you, our listeners may know as Jewel, or Ace is Enjoy's product, or Vu's, which is Reynolds Tobacco's product. Some of these products are made by companies that are tobacco companies, like Vu's. Some of them are made by companies that have a partial uh, investment from a tobacco company, like Jewel. And some are uh, what I call pure play companies, like uh, Enjoy. And the science behind it is that they are safer, but they're not safe. So the companies themselves will tell you that e-cigarettes are not safe. And that's important to remember. But are they safer than combustible cigarettes? I have to say that with the knowledge that we have today, and it keeps getting stronger over each year goes by, that they're dramatically safer. The United Kingdom uses a number, which is pretty impressive, that they're 95% safer than cigarettes. You know, people have questioned that number. And to me, whether it's 95% or 80%, or even if it was 75% safer, it's the classic argument about harm reduction, which applies to seatbelts, helmets, um, how much cake you should eat if you have diabetes or heart disease. Should you know? And then in the world of substance use, about methadone and bup for uh, opioid addiction, or, or even more controversial, uh, needle exchange, or even more controversial, is medically supervised needle exchange sites. Mm -hmm. In other words, where that nurses are actually on staff to assist in the injection of drugs. I mean, this is very radical, but there's some countries, you know, in Amsterdam and very progressive companies are doing things like this because it's really about this concept of harm reduction. Mm -hmm. And so you could apply those same principles of harm reduction um, to the field of tobacco. I have a theory as to why many scientists and the American public may not embrace it as much for tobacco. And I think it's linked to the tobacco industry. See, there's no real opioid industry per se. Right. There's no other, other industries like this. So the tobacco industry, people just focus on that. They lie, they've manipulated, they're evil. There are even Hollywood movies made about it. And uh, people just keep remembering that. But as a physician, I have to remember the individual. And at the pop, as a population health scientist and as a public health scientist, I also have to remember the population. And what it says is that 
for the individual, if I can, if they can't quit cigarettes, but I can get into something that's at least safer, and then eventually they can get off that so-called safer product, I should do that. And the big news is, this week, there were, again, as I mentioned, two huge FDA announcements, one about menthol, but also a news that some of you may not have heard about as much, which is that the FDA is now granting what are called PMTAs, pre-market tobacco authorization. And what they're being given for is if any tobacco product wants to come to market today, even a different cigarette brand, even a variation of a cigarette, a low nicotine cigarette, a safer cigarette, they cannot bring it to market in the U.S. without going to the FDA and getting it authorized, which is not a simple procedure. It requires a lot of science behind it. And you can only get a PMTA a couple of you know bullet points and the principles but in general if you can show that bringing the product to market will improve the health of the public that the public's health of people in the u.s will be improved with this product coming to market so you can imagine with many new cigarettes that's not going to happen yeah but if you come with nicotine pouches or e-cigarettes you potentially can do that and so about uh, mid-april the FDA authorized, not approved, because approved implies that it's safe, but authorized the marketing of uh, ACE, A-C-E, which is an Enjoy product, as the first sort of fourth generation state-of-the-art e-cigarette has been granted a PMT. Right. So in my opinion, the train has left the station. Harm reduction in tobacco is here to say, stay. I'm celebrating that because I think this is a potential game changer. Mm. A colleague um, emailed me yesterday and said uh, from Seattle that, uh, you know, hopefully in our lifetime, we'll see a smoke-free society. I wrote back and told him that, um, you know, often people say when the smoking rates are less than 5%, you sort of, in essence, have a smoke-free society. Yeah. Because it's never going to get to zero. Sure. People will always smoke something. But that I actually view in 10 to 15 years in the U.S., by the year, what's that, about 10 to, so 2020, 2035, that we will be less than 5% prevalence in the United States. And I think these novel nicotine products, like e-cigarettes and things like that, will be part of that. Your work is around minorities and tobacco use and cessation, right? So when you talk about the work that you're doing as far as hoping that people move to e-cigs and then eventually stop using, you know, nicotine and, and everything else. How, how is that going? Is that working? Are, are men and women of color switching to e-cigarettes and, and are they, what does that look like now? Well, I think I want to be on record repeatedly saying the following. If you don't use tobacco, don't start. If you use tobacco and cigarettes, quit. Use FDA-approved medications, nicotine gum, nicotine patch, varenicline, bupropion, Chantex, Zyben, you know, different, they go under different names, to try to quit. Try quitting cold turkey. If you cannot quit and you have tried sincerely, then moving to these so-called alternative nicotine products like e-cigarettes is a good thing. So I think I just want to get that yes. on record. It's really important that listeners hear that uh, loud and clear. I think it's a game changer because if the goal is to eliminate disparities, disparities means just a difference, right? Between X and Y, you subtract the two and you see what you have. 
And if you look at who smokes cigarettes in the United States right now, it can be summed up in sort of like three to five groups. Low socioeconomic status, minority communities, uh, people with uh, significant mental health disorders like schizophrenia, severe depression, anxiety disorders, people who have alcohol uh, disorder, alcohol use disorder or alcoholism, high rates of smoking, and finally, people with opioid use disorders, also high rates of smoking. So if you think about it, it's, it appears to all be either minority groups or vulnerable groups. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if we're gonna make a dent in improving the lives of Americans as whole, because these are all Americans, and I just named these groups, we have to make progress. And so again, as I said, the message is quitting, but if they can't, getting folks to these other products. Now, How's it going? Well, it's tricky because unlike the UK, we've had a lot of misinformation. Yeah. And, um, and since podcasts are about communication and, and you're a communication expert, is that um, the misinformation is, is doing damage. Uh, people think uh, nicotine causes cancer. People think e-cigarettes are as or more dangerous than cigarettes. I mean, that's, the chances of that are about zero. I mean, one of the concerns that people have, which is semi-valid, is we don't know the long-term effects of e-cigarettes. Yeah. But we don't know the long-term effects of many things yeah. that get FDA approved for marketing to treat, um, because we surely don't want minority communities to start using these, and it turns out that they're actually worse than we thought. Right. But on the other hand, if they're not, we surely want these communities not to be left behind, because yeah. they often do tend to be late adopters of technology because of cost issues, reimbursement, communication and miscommunication, and, 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 and so on and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Other than e-cigarettes, are there other novel nicotine products available? You know, interestingly enough, there are. And, and it's important to understand the difference. So let me just say sort of the three categories, sort of these e-cigarettes, which use a heating source, a battery to heat a liquid, which generally is pretty simple liquid. It's water, nicotine, and something called PG and VG. Uh, I don't remember the names, but they're actually found in food. PG and VG are found in food and we eat it and it's very safe. So it's very important for our young listeners who are high school students and undergraduates that how we, the route of administration of a particular chemical determines its safety. So PG and VG, when you eat it, which we do every day probably, is safe. But when you inhale it, it becomes a little different. So that's some of the components of e-cigarettes that might be less, less safe. There are other products. There's something called nicotine pouch, which is taking off. These products go under the trade names of Zin, uh, On, with an exclamation point. Um, and there's a few more in this country that, uh, and they're doing well. And interesting enough, you would think that this is the kind of product that smokeless tobaccos would like, which they do, because it goes in your mouth and then you leave it there about 15 minutes and you, you take it out. It's a very small pouch and it just has nicotine in it. And you would think smokers wouldn't necessarily want it, but smokers are also taking it up and suits from clinical studies done, and we're actually doing a study right now, it does appear that smokers can get off their cigarettes completely and onto these pouches just like they can with these cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Now, I've actually read some of the papers done on these pouches, and the biochemical profile of the pouches, nicotine pouches, is almost the exact same as nicotine gum which has been around for 30 years and is FDA approved as a medication. Yeah. So that should tell you that pouches are pretty darn safe. Mm -hmm. Not something we can say as much about e-cigarettes, but for pouches, we can't. Now, of course, again, 
there is nicotine in it. So let's understand that. Um, nicotine has its, its so-called risks, but they're pretty small for some of the smoked cigarettes. There's another product that was on the market briefly, but that had to come off the market because of patent suits, but it's gonna come back on. And I just want people to know about it because it is gonna come back. It's called Icos. Um, uh, it's a heat not burn product, HNB. And what it is, is it's modified tobacco that goes in a stick that looks like a cigarette. It looks exactly like a cigarette. And you put it in a device that looks like the size, size but it's about, about smaller than the iPhone, a little mm. bit. And you put the cigarette stick inside of it. And what it does is a battery operated device like the iPhone heats the stick to about 300 degrees centigrade or possibly Fahrenheit, I can't remember. <laughs> but it gets hot, above yeah. boiling. But it doesn't combust the tobacco, it heats it. Because when you combust things, combust means to light on fire, um, then there's more generation of uh, bad chemicals. Yeah. So by heating it and doing a modified tobacco, these iQOS or heat sticks, or heat not burn, is about 90% safer in the chemical analysis, or higher, 95%, than a cigarette. So the way I think about it is these heat not burn products are definitely safer than cigarettes, are probably maybe not as safe as an e-cigarette, but not too far away from it. Hmm. And it will take off. In Japan, there's been a massive switch from combustible cigarettes to this iQOS. Hmm. And I predict in 20 years, we're going to see a rapid fall of cancer death and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease hmm. in Japan. What words of wisdom do you have for our listeners who are interested in being future healthcare providers, future health scientists? I would say one is, again, let science inform policy. That's sort of when, as you grow up and you think about that. Second is, as you are a student, a high school student, an undergraduate, a medical student, a nursing student, a dentist, always look at things with an inquisitive eye and, and, and question everything. So um, even the stuff that I said today, look it up, Google it, read stuff, find out more about it, read books about it, and sort of get at what is the truth. There's a lot of misinformation in this world. There are a lot of agendas. Corporate America has an agenda, which is to make money and deliver to their shareholders. Hopefully physicians have an agenda to take care of their patients. Public health scientists have an agenda to improve the health of the public. So there's all these competing agendas and the government has an agenda, hard to understand sometimes, but sort of really question things and come to your own conclusion based on what's out there and what's uh, scientific. I would also say that follow your passion. You know, what puts fire in your belly? When you wake up in the morning, what gets you excited? Do you, do you want to sort of be a hands-on healthcare provider? Well you know, the profession that provides the most direct patient interaction is actually nursing. Do you want to be a scientist who also sees patients? You know, then you can be a physician in a medical school. You can do both. Do you like teaching? Do you want to, do you want to teach students a lot? Then maybe get a PhD and do that. It's all sort of really important stuff. And the final thought is we work best in teams. And, and I think the problem is, you know, we live in or silos, you know, physicians, asylum, uh, social workers, asylum. Everyone does their thing. 
the, the best way to solve the complex problems of the world or the complex problem of an individual patient is to sort of work in a team. So if you're working with a patient who, let's say, has cancer and can't afford their medications or hospitalization, and then has to go back to the outpatient and take a pill for six months, what's the reimbursement scheme? What's their social support at home? Do they need physical therapy? Do they need occupational therapy? How will they get transportation to their doctor's appointments? And that's sort of at the individual level. And the population level, if we want to solve things like poverty, which is, of course, so much related to health and things like that, it's not one person nor one profession that'll do it. It's economists, sociologists, psychologists, physicians. So learn to think and work in teams. I love that. Is there anything else that you would like to add or something I should have asked and I didn't? Yeah, I would say if we want this country to be great and we want to do what is best for our fellow human beings, the way a society will always be judged is how is it taking care of those that are less fortunate and less able to provide for themselves? So this means often the lower socioeconomic status groups, people who live in poverty, or the extreme is homeless people. And is that, you know, what can we do to, to contribute to making their lives better? Thank you to Dr. Jazz Alawalia for sharing your time and expertise. If you have questions for us or an idea about a future episode, please email us at livestrongcancerinstitutes at delmed.utexas.edu. To find out more about the Live Strong Cancer Institutes, please visit delmed.utexas.edu. Please also follow our department chair, Dr. Gail Eckhart, on Twitter at S. Gail Eckhart. Eckhart is spelled E-C-K-H-A-R-D-T. This is Kristen Wynn with the Live Strong Cancer Institutes and Cancer Uncovered, an education and empowerment podcast challenging you to keep asking questions and stay curious. Thank you for listening and learning with us. We'll see you next month.